If you will, um, get your bulletin out. We're going to get ready to um, get into God's Word and discover what He has for us uh, today. I'm going to be teaching out. We've been in the story. We're continuing this. Uh, this is the, the chronological. The Bible put in chronological order. The abridged uh, kind of gets keeps the the the. the as some of our elders call it, the velvet stream, the crimson thread, if you will, of Jesus from the Old Testament all the way through the New. Today we're in chapter 25, and the title of chapter 25 is Jesus, the Son of God. And um, it's important to remember, um, and you say, I don't have the story. I, I haven't been reading that. Well, we're going to be out of uh, the book of Mark this morning. Mark chapter, I believe it's chapter 9, is where the story is uh, pulling from the Scriptures. And it's, it's key to remember that the, the, the story, what we're teaching from, is in chronological order. Like this falls in a specific timeline in the life of Jesus. And this, uh, what we're going to read today, are the days just prior to Jesus going to the cross. Not weeks, we're looking at days. And so this today could be summed up as some of his last or final words. And we all know, right, this is an easy statement to make, that typically a person's last words are also very important words for that person. And Jesus has a lot of really important things to say as he's walking with his followers. And so we're just going to kind of jump right in here and notice what did Jesus talk about in the final moments, the final days prior to the cross. Now, I want to kind of talk about the future real fast. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about the seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. And we're going to do that through the season of Lent. And so I want to invite you to continue to walk with us as we go from these, these statements that he makes today into Jesus and the cross. And this is what we read, Mark chapter 9, verses 27 through 29. Also, it's on page, let's see, what page is this? Page 353 of the story. It says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the village near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. I want to talk first about the first question he asked. Remember the context? He's talking to his disciples, those who have he has approached, and he said, will you follow me? They've said yes. He's not talking to the crowd. He's not talking to people who have heard about him. He's talking to those who have said, yes, I will follow you. This is his closest group. And to them, he said, what are people saying about me? What, what do people say? And they give a really, really good report. Every person that they mentioned was a person that would have been famous in that time and in that culture of the people. They were all prophets. They were all rock stars. They were all uh, superheroes, if you will, in the faith of the people. And that's who people were equating Jesus to be. Now, not much, honestly, has changed in our time. Anybody who does research has an education about who Jesus is, what he said, what he did. You don't find a lot of Jesus bashers out there. You find Christian bashers, you find God bashers, people who are angry at God or angry at people who claim to be uh, walking or following God. But you don't find a lot of people out there who will take shots at Jesus. Did you know that Jesus even had a Twitter account? He does. I found it this week. Um, right here, yeah. Jesus Christ, carpenter, healer, God, right? And uh, for those of you who love social media, don't waste your time following it. It's not funny. It's really lame. And I was like reading through, is there anything profound? No, like I would be a much better Jesus on Twitter than whoever's this Jesus on Twitter. So anyway, and I'm not any good at that stuff, right? So anyway, don't follow. Let's move on. So but people, right, people ha had then and kind of have now that are, they have some sort of understanding about Jesus, typically have a good opinion of him. But Jesus used that question to get the more important one. And the second thing that he asked was this, but who do you say that I am? 
And this is kind of the, the, the part of the message today where we're kind of kind of lead into you. Our vision here at New City Church is you, family, city. You comes first because we believe that God wants to speak to you before he wants to use you to speak to someone else. And a lot of times we're like, man, I wish he would hear this message. I hope she's listening today. Hit pause on that. God's speaking to you. And Jesus looks at his closest followers and he says, okay, that's great that everybody thinks these things. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Isn't it interesting, or I find it interesting, that Jesus doesn't say, who do you think I am? A lot of people think good things about Jesus. But do you know there's a part of maturity in your life when you begin to speak who Jesus is to you, when you're able to confess with your mouth, not what you think in your brain. Because some of us have thoughts in our brain, this is me anyway, and when I say them, they sound really goofy. Like, I can't believe I think that, right? Like, once I say it, I, I hear how dumb I sound, right? Like, when I say, man, I really love professional wrestling, and I'm excited that tonight's the Royal Rumble. Like, when I speak that out loud, I don't feel very smart, right? But when I think it, I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cool, right? Go wrestling. But what do you say? What do you say? What do you say about... Do you ever say anything about Jesus? You know, you may think thoughts about Jesus, but do you say anything? And Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Now, this is really key. Because some of us in the room are in this age, you're, you're, you're in a specific age group, where how you define Jesus is how your mama, your daddy, your grandma might have defined him. Maybe you're in the age where that definition is beginning to get shaken because your professor at school in one of your classes has a different thought. Or you have a friend who's not, who, who uh, hasn't put in the work to really see who Jesus was and what he actually did, but they're always willing to give you their opinion on who Jesus is. And so there comes a point, and by the way, I could be that friend. Like, you, like what I believe about Jesus, and, I, and I, I think I'm leading you in the right directions, at some point, it has to become your belief. What do you, what do you, what do you have to say about who this Jesus is? And it is a most critical decision, a most critical one. And Peter, he's there, he hears the question, he's kind of the leader of the disciples, uh, outside of Jesus, kind of the one that Jesus leans on a lot, and I think he just spoke up the most. And Peter just kind of jumps in there and he says, you are the Messiah, he says, you are the Messiah. And so uh, I kind of gave you two words here because Messiah gets used uh, uh, in, in comparison with another word that's called the Christ. And so if you want to put that in your bulletin, that in Greek, when the Greeks were kind of writing or talking, they would refer to the Messiah as the Christ. But yet the Hebrews, uh, when referring to this Messiah, would say the word Messiah. And both words mean the one who is anointed, one who has been anointed. Now, why is that a big deal? Like, there were a lot of people who had been anointed. Any king that Israel had ever had had been anointed. Um, people had, had come along and seemed important. And so why was it that this Jesus, like, what was so big about Peter saying in that moment when Jesus said, who do you say that I am, that Peter said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the one who has been anointed. Why is that a big deal? And why should that matter to you and I? right? Well, here's why it's a big deal. I just kind of want to put this up here. We can read this. I also included the link if you want to take this home and kind of continue some research. But this is what I read this week that I thought summed it up pretty well. It says, the Old Testament books in the Bible, all of them written between 1450 BC and 430 BC, all of those contained hundreds of prophecies about an anointed one, not about a bunch of people anointed. There was a lot of scriptures throughout the entire Old Testament that point to this one anointed person. 
This Messiah in Hebrew, and this person he would or he uh, who would arrive in their future. The Messiah would deliver or save all the Jewish people, bringing them to paradise or heaven. These prophecies also stated that the Messiah would save all the other people in the world through the Jews. For this reason, people who are not Jewish need to learn about the Messiah too. So in this day and time, throughout the entire history of the Jewish people, they have been waiting for this one specific anointed one. Right? This one. And, and you, you can continue to do some research here. Uh, there's a second leak there. And you notice it's jewsforjesus.org slash answers slash prophecy slash 365 messianic prophecies. There's 365 prophecies found in the Old Testament that point to this coming uh, future Messiah who will save the people, who will be God's chosen. And Jesus connected or he answered, he fulfilled every single one of those 365 prophecies. And Peter, although he was a fisherman, he knew these prophecies because it had been drilled into him since he was a young boy, and he's connecting the dots. And so in this time when Jesus says, hey, Peter, who do you say I am? He's like, you know, got all these figures rolling in his head, and he goes, whoa, light bulb moment. Based on what I've read and what we're waiting for, you are, have done all of those things. Now, the, the skeptic would say, well, Jesus knew those two, Matt, and that's why he did them, because he had a severe Messiah complex, and he just wanted to prove, right? He wanted to, but here's, here's some flaws in that theory. Like, if you're like, God, oh, Jesus, come on, and there's not a person in this room who got to pick where you were born, what city you were born. There's not a person in this room that got to pick your family heritage, Are you right? No, you, you were just like, Jimmy and Becky Miller got me. I didn't get to pick them, Right? And that's a good thing, right? I didn't get to pick them. God said, you're going to grow up in light Arkansas, population 50 people on a good day, right? I'm a country boy, and this is going to be your parents, and this is where you're going to be brought up. You'll say, well, there's other... No, no, no. He, he didn't get to pick those. And think about the cross. Think about the fact that he went to the crucifixion. You think Jesus, uh, you know, like, you think he started the chant, crucify him? Like he's up there by Pilate. He's already been beat, had the snot beat out of him. And, you know, he still wants to be this Messiah so bad he's going to weather the pain, right? Which, come on, nobody does that. And yet they're trying to figure out what to do with him. And so somebody, you know, it's kind of silent. You think Jesus went like, crucify him. Think he started the chant? Think it was his, hey, guys, crucify him. You know, he didn't start it. It was the Messianic prophecy that he would be lifted up high, that he would go to a cross. And anyway, Peter is seeing all of these things previous to that, going, wow, this, you are the one. You are the one. And he makes this declaration that you are the Messiah. You are the one that we have been waiting for. And you have to come to that same conclusion on your own terms. At some point, you have to decide not what other people say. I'm, I'm telling you guys, this is so important. There has to come a time in your life, maybe it's today, I pray it's today for many of us, where there's literal words that come out of your mouth that communicate verbally who you think Jesus is. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, famous quote, many of you have heard it, I want to remind you of it today, he wrote this in Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis says this, he's the same guy that wrote, you know, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He wrote another, a lot of other books that are deep thinking. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, him being Jesus, that I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic 
on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, there are many of us in the room right now who are followers of Jesus. We are disciples. We are doing our best to align our lives with that of God. What does this mean for those of us who have already confessed that Jesus is Lord? It is important for us in this way. We have to continue to refocus our mind on that. We have to continue to remember who Jesus is because we can get pulled away and get distracted by a variety of things. I mean, there are so many things that will pull your attention from Jesus as Lord and get you chasing a bunch of nonsense. And so it's important that daily you confess. It's not a one-time confession, that you always go back to the fact that Jesus is the Lord. Every day, Jesus asks you. Every moment, Jesus asks you. When you're with that girl, when you're figuring out your taxes, when you're deciding whether or not you're going to go to work, or if you're going to steal from your company, pick something. Who do you say that I am? And if you say, I believe that you are the Messiah, the anointed one, that you are the Lord, then it has heavy implications on your next move. Does that make sense? Like you can't say, oh yeah, Jesus, you're the anointed one, you're the Messiah, but I don't really care what you say. Either it matters a great deal or it matters very little. And for those of us who are following Jesus, we have to keep this in front of us all of the time. Because left to our own devices, we do really stupid stuff. Anybody here do stupid stuff? I'll raise both hands. Jesus is Lord. Let's turn it over. Turn the insert over here. And Jesus switches gears now. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? But then he looks past them and he looks at the crowd. And let me define the crowd before we read the scripture. The crowd are the people who have yet to recognize, to confess, to believe that Jesus is this Messiah, that Jesus is this Christ, that he is the anointed one. They, they kind of gather around and they hear these things about Jesus, but they haven't yet made a decision about who he is. And so notice this, it says, then calling the crowd, like he over the disciples to the people who are just kind of checking him out, he says, to the crowd, to, he calling call to the crowd to join his disciples. So he's inviting them now to join in, to step out of the crowd and step into this following Jesus, into being a disciple. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, oh, okay, anybody in here want to be Jesus' follower? Right, so he, he, he asked the crowd, hey, does anybody want to follow me? You guys back there that aren't a part of the disciples yet, anybody want to follow? And then, you know, maybe some people raised hands too. Uh, and then he says this, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must. Not you ought to, or it's a good idea, or if you get around to it, if it fits into your schedule, or if your girlfriend's okay with it, right? He says, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, I want to talk to those of us in the room right now who are maybe a part of the crowd. Like, you don't have anything bad to say about Jesus, but the truth is, you're just not following him yet. You're for Jesus, you're a fan you're a fan, you're not against it. If somebody began to take shots at Jesus, you would probably stand in the way and say, man, you need to calm down. Or you would at least inside feel really dirty and frustrated at somebody's attitude towards Jesus. But the truth is, you're not yet in the club. 
Or maybe you're like, I think I'm in the club. I don't know. Well, let's look at these three things and see if we can self-diagnose. So what does it mean to be a disciple? This is what Jesus says. Three things. The first thing he says is to turn from your selfish ways. To turn from your selfish ways. I want to give you one word for each of the three, okay? The word I want you to write down here is boss. B-O-S-S. Boss. Here's the thing. If Jesus is not your boss, you can't be his disciple. I know this is hard. But if you understand things in Scripture that Jesus says to do or not to do, and you look at those things and you go, yeah, but I really want to, and then you continue what you want to do, the clear truth is this. Your selfish ways win. And you go, time out, Matt. Don't call what I want to do selfish. Well, here's the problem. I believe that God trumps you. I believe that God is smarter than you. He's smarter than me. And that he knows better than you do. And he knows better than I do. And so at some point, I would say that God is my absolute truth and what he says in his word. And so anytime that you read something in the Bible and you're like, well, yeah, I don't want to think that or I don't want to do that or I don't want to feel that or I don't want to be that. Well, at that moment, you need to know that there is this battle between your selfish ways and God's absolute truth. And if you say, no, I will win. I want to be the boss. That's fine. But just know that you're not a disciple. You're in the crowd. Because the crowd knew what Jesus had been teaching, but the crowd always went home and did what they wanted. But the disciples stepped in and followed and said, okay, you're the boss. Sometimes that's how it is. Sometimes following Jesus is really hard because rarely does Jesus ask you, what do you think about it? Or how do you feel? Why does he not ask you that? Because you're not the anointed one. You're not the Messiah. You're not the Christ. He is, you're not. And for some of us, we're like right away, well, then I'm not following And unfortunately, man, how I wish what I was about to say is wrong. Jesus will let you walk away. He will let you walk. He will not force you into following him, unfortunately. I can force my kids to clean the room. I can. It takes a lot of energy, but I can force them. Jesus will not force you into following him. He wants you to want to. He wants you to love him. What about the next thing? It says, turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross. Take up your cross. Here's the word I want to give you there. The word is rejection. What did the cross represent for Jesus? Now, the cross accomplished a lot of things. That's a message for another day. We can spend a whole hour or longer, much longer, talking about what the cross accomplished. But what did it mean for Jesus that day? It meant that Jesus had had self-identified and had been identified by others as the Messiah, the anointed one. People had said, you're that guy, and then his people rejected him. And he had to take up his cross, the most humiliating way to die. Not the most painful. There was more painful ways to die in the time of the Romans than the cross. But it was hands down the most humiliating way. Stripped down naked, asked to carry a large cross over your shoulders through the city as people held insults at you. Rejection. I'm the anointed. You've said I'm the anointed, but now you want nothing to do with me? Here's some hard news. When you follow Jesus, people will reject you. And that's hard for us because we want to like. We want people to like us. But people will reject you. You have friends that when you tell them that you can't go do what they're inviting you to do, and they ask why, and you verbally say, because Jesus is my boss, they're going to make fun of you and they're going to reject you. You guys who are engaged or dating... 
and you look to your, your girlfriend, your future wife, and you say, listen, we've got to cut out this physical contact until we stand before our family and friends and, and, and get married. No more sex before our marriage. She's going to look at you like you've lost your mind. And I don't know what he will say when the girl says it, right? But what? what? Like you will, there will be rejection that you feel when you uh, are obedient. There are some of you in this room whose families uh, have no faith or a different faith. And when you say, hey, listen, I am a follower of Jesus, they will reject you. They will make fun of you. You will be outcast at the next family dinner. At Easter dinner, Resurrection Sunday dinner, people will look at you odd because of your confession of who you believe Jesus to be. People at work who you used to hang with and do stuff with, and now you don't do what they used to do. Like, you know how they used to kind of skim a little off to the side because they don't get paid enough? And because the place they work for is not legit or they're not right, and so they found ways to make it right, and all of a sudden you say, hey, listen, I can't do that anymore. They're going to reject you. And you have to, it's so, it's so tempting to set the cross to the side and think that we can uh, go through life with everybody loving us because we want to act just like the world and yes, still be a follower of Jesus. But unfortunately, guys, you can't do that. Because when you say Jesus is the boss, then what you're also saying is, I have to assume the lifestyle and have to assume the principles that Jesus also carried. And that will set you apart from much of the world. That will set you apart from much of the world. But many of us in the room, we would rather be liked by the world than be obedient to Jesus. Because nobody, who does, man, we just feel, man, I want them to like me. I don't like it when I'm no longer included at the lunch table. I no longer like it when I'm not included out on the weekend. I feel lonely. I'm sitting at home on Friday and Saturday nights while all my friends go out and have fun. Yeah, anybody who has followed Jesus and picked up his cross, we've all been through that. You're not the one. You're not the only one who's had to be a lonely Christian on the weekend. Been there. And you have to ask yourself, am I willing to be lonely on a Friday night to be obedient to my new boss? And some of us in the room, the answer is this, you're not. Because your love for the world, the love for yourself, is greater than your love for Jesus. And our watered-down, pansy, sissy, American Christian faith says this, just go to church and believe that Jesus is God and you're okay. And fail. I'm not very nice. I'm not, can we put up that picture of Jesus being Twitter again just so that we can laugh real fast? There we go. Let's laugh. Makes us feel better, right? Why do I say this a lot? Because I don't want you to be confused on your last days. It cannot be on me and the communication of this church that one day you stand before Jesus and you are not ready, that you've given your life to something else. An understanding of him some knowledge of him, but he's never been the Lord of your life. Nowhere in scripture does Jesus say, I want you to be my buddy. I want you to, I want you to have, no, he doesn't say that. Follow me. Pick up your cross and the rejection and follow me. Third thing is this. Follow me. Right? Like the word I want you to write here for this one is movement. Move. If you don't want to write a big word, write move. Four letters. When you follow Jesus, you have to move. I'm not saying you mean, Matt, I got to move to like Missouri or like, no, come on, don't, don't be silly. You have to move spiritually. You can't stay where you currently are in life circumstances and follow Jesus because the whole part of salvation is that you are rescued out of something. Do we not remember Dina's story just a few moments ago? 
God has put her on a path of salvation. He's going to pull her out of a specific lifestyle of addiction and brokenness. He's pulling her out of that. Her heart and her mind are already there. She's confessed Jesus Lord publicly. Now her life gets to follow. And again, this is where many of us miss it. We make this public confession maybe at a camp or at a church, and then we, we get so, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, distracted by the world that we forget that, oh yeah, we have to follow. And that's why I think church is so important on Sunday mornings. That's why I think walking with other people who are following Jesus is also so important for our young people in the room, getting involved in clubs at your school and at your college that are also other people your age who are following Jesus. Like It's important because it's really, really hard to walk with the world and follow Jesus. It's, it's really hard. Not saying it's impossible, but man, is it really difficult. Now, why? Why does Jesus say and put so much importance on his final days of turn from your selfish ways? Hey, Matt, pick up your cross and follow me. Like, okay, that's the what. Now, why should anybody in this room bother to do that? All right. Recent statistics show that 10 out of 10 people die. Did you guys know that? Look what Jesus says in Mark 8, 35 through 38. If you try to hang on to your life, paraphrase that, if you choose to be the boss, if you continue to do what you want when you want, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, the good news is capitalized because it's the gospel. It's the gospel literally means that Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus lived again. That's the gospel. The presentation of the gospel is Christ lived, Christ died, Christ I mean, Christ crucified, Christ resurrected. But if you, uh, if you give up your life for the sake of, and for the sake of the gospel, for the good news, you will save it. So you could lose it by keeping it or give it away to me and save it. And what do you benefit? And catch this, for those of us who are so tempted to follow the world, the why, what, what, and, to, and, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me, and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Man, that's heavy. That, like, that's heavy. Like, he's, you know what Jesus just said to his peeps? If you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. There's another word that's used if you look there in that passage, and it says... Um, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? The word that is often used there is this word called forfeit. Has anybody ever been a part of a team that had to forfeit a victory? Isn't that frustrating when you have to forfeit a victory? I mean, uh, currently in college basketball, is in, they might have gotten beaten this, these last couple of days, but SMU... Uh, Larry Brown's college basketball team is the only, I think, the only undefeated team. Like, they're, they're great. They're, they're, it's a great basketball team. But because of last year's choices, they are uh, forfeited from any postseason play. Like, they can't go into the, 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 the March Madness stuff. Can't go. So these guys are out there playing their guts out, beating all these teams for nothing. Playing for next year getting better as a team for next year. But for this season, will be a complete forfeit. What does it matter if you're the best in your line of work? If you do what you got to do to get ahead, and then at the end of it all, when you breathe your last, 
Jesus doesn't know who you are. And you forfeit it. Like you tried so hard and you played so hard to do, be, to the, do the best as you defined it. And at the end of your life, you've learned that all this hard work gets you nothing. Or, some of you need to do what I just did. Breathe out, exhale, and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I confess you. I confess that I believe in my head and my heart that you are the Messiah, the anointed one. Will, I'm, will you be my boss? And I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. Will you do that? And that's, that's, what, that's how it begins. But I know the posture, spiritual posture of some of us in the room, because this is at one time me. Yeah, but I've got a different way. I'm, I'm going to try this other thing first, like this other Jesus approach. Jesus is going to be a part of it. I'm going to put him in the recipe. But I, I, I'm not a bad cat, Matt. I'm a pretty good dude. And no, listen, listen. Don't forfeit all of this life that you're living for. Because you tried to keep you, you tried to keep yourself. Listen to these words. If any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Curtis, are you guys still in the room? I invite you guys to come back up. We're going to do that song one more time. Here's my heart, Lord. That's how we're going to end. And um, I want to read the words of Jesus to you today. Repeat what I read earlier and say this, as if Jesus were speaking to you, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And I would invite you this morning to communicate that first to the Father through prayer, verbally, don't you dare think it. If you think it, then let it come out of your mouth. And then you find somebody that you love and trust here at New City Church and you tell them the same thing. So would you guys stand with me this morning? I want to pray and we're going to worship out. Then I'm going to come back and close this with a prayer. Father God, may your word um, have authority in our lives this morning. And God, may we follow after you and what you've asked. God, may this song uh, be the literal truth in this room today. Holy Spirit, here is our heart. Make it yours.